Whether you want to admit it or not, you have fears. We all do. Maybe it's a fear of bees or being chased in an alley by a masked man. Okay, so those are my fears. Or maybe it's a fear of failure or a fear of public speaking or getting rejected. Or maybe it's a larger fear, like being in a fire or a plane crash. The thing is, we can't let those fears take hold of our lives. We can't let those fears dictate how we operate or how we interact with others. Sometimes we have to take control of our fears and show those fears who's boss. And I don't want to start off things by you know, making you feel sad or uneasy. But let's just say for a moment, one of your worst fears came true. What if? What would you do? Honestly, how would you react? Would you let the fear consume you? Or would you fight back? Would you push the fear out? Would you tell the fear to shove it and stick it where the sun don't shine? Would you use that fear to fuel you to do something greater than you could have ever imagined? Would you use that fear to impact or even save the lives of others? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, or just an amazing person who is trying to make an impact not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Dave Sanderson. Today's conversation is going to blow you away. Dave is an inspirational survivor, author, and former head of security for The Tony Robbins. His thoughts on leadership, business, and survival have made him an internationally sought-after speaker. But when U.S. Airways Flight 1549, or the Miracle on the Hudson, went into the Hudson River on January 15, 2009, Dave Sanderson knew he was in exactly the right place. He knew he was exactly where he was supposed to be. The last passenger off the back of the plane on that fateful day, he was largely responsible for the well-being and safety of others, risking his own life in frigid water to help other passengers off the plane. Dave shares his story with you today, and it is absolutely incredible. This is quite honestly, one of my favorite episodes to date, and you're going to love it. Now on to my conversation with Dave. Hey, Dave, welcome to the show. Molly, thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be with you. I am so excited to get to know you. And when you're when when the email came across my inbox with um, your information to have you on the show, I knew right away, I was like, I want to talk to this guy because I have about 7 billion questions I want to ask you. Um, so to before we really get into all of that, and I don't even want to spoil anything for anybody who's listening and and they're like, who's this guy? Um, I want you to tell your story because it's incredible. So um, I'm going to have you do what I have all my guests do, and that's give us the Dave 101. So tell us your story and um, everything that kind of led you to where you are today. Well, well thank, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. So here's the brief one. 101 on Dave. Um, I was in sales for 30 plus years, sales and sales management. In addition to being in sales and sales management, I was also the head of security for a gentleman named Tony Robbins for oh, wow. 10 years. So I, I was doing that in addition to being in sales. I had the opportunity to learn and absorb and travel with uh, Tony all over the world. So it was a great education for me. And, and so I had the opportunity to be around a lot of outstanding people, but on January 15, 2009, everything started changing for me in my life, where um, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, 
I was scheduled to be on the five o'clock flight that night, so I truly believe I was supposed to be on that plane for a reason. Wow! Uh, I was in seat fifteen A. I wasn't paying attention like most people do when they get on a plane because I flew a hundred times, still do fly a hundred times plus a year. So you think you know everything when you get on a plane, but uh, then all of a sudden things start changing when you hear an explosion and all of a sudden see fire coming out from beneath the wing and you say, "Okay, something's happening." But until the captain says those famous words, "This is your captain, brace for impact," you really don't realize how um, mm. serious I used to word serious Captain Sullivan used to word dire I'll use his word because that's a little more emotion to it um, but it was yes it's a dire or serious situation and that's the moment I started realizing that Canley I probably would not be coming back um, to this earth because my recollection of not only plane crashes but uh, plane crashes in water usually don't turn out very well it's uh, so uh, when he crossed over the George Washington Bridge, and I just did my final prayers, that was about 60 to 70 seconds. And now I tell people that was uh, that 60 to 70 seconds was amazing because uh, it's when you think you're going to die, and all of a sudden you have that life clarity about you, and you see the movie of your life passing before your eyes. And and I the, the so I talked to somebody who survived the earthquake in Haiti, and she had a very similar experience where she was crushed. In, uh, in a house for about seven hours before someone got to her. And she said that she had the same experience where she saw her life pass before her eyes. And all of a sudden, you get clarity of what your mission on Earth was all about. But then you get the opportunity to get another chance. Uh, so when we got down, and she, if you know the story, right? You got down in one piece, which was amazing. Yeah. That's a whole story in itself. But then all of a sudden, you got water rushing into the plane. So I was a C-15A towards the back of the plane. So water was coming in from underneath the plane because of the impact in the back of the plane because somebody tried to open up the back door, which they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They they heard, but unfortunately, do not open up a back door when you're in the water. Just FYI, if anybody's ever in that situation. Yeah, uh, if, if there's another plane crash on a river, don't open up the back door. <laughs> yeah, that's one moment you don't listen to the flight crew. They yeah. said, you know, the closest exit which may be behind you. Um, so water started coming in really rapidly. And Mike, initially, Molly, my game plan was like, I think everybody else's get to the aisle, get up and get out. And, but when I got to the aisle, that started, everything started changing because I heard my mother's talk in my head and my mom had passed away in 1997, mm-hmm. but there was something she would tell me when I was a child that just all of a sudden sort of popped into my head. And it was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And one of the great thing I tell people now, one of the great things I realized about my mom after that. And she never really told me what to do. She'd always give me the choice and make me make a decision, which was, I think, a great lesson, which I don't do. I, I think I don't do enough. And I'm really focusing on how to make my kids make the, more decisions, whether they're right or wrong, at least make the decisions so they can learn how to make decisions. Yeah. Um, but I made a decision to go towards the back of the plane because I knew that I was alive. And candidly, I, you know, I always I grew up and always having a group of guys and we always took care of each other. And and so I went to the back of the plane to see if anybody needed help. And once we got everybody moving, I started getting behind them to make my way out. And by that time, water was about waist to chest deep in the mm-hmm. back of the plane. And I was making my way out. Luggage is flying out. It's, you know, it's bobbing in the water. But all the further I could get up was 10F, which was the exit door on the right. And I started making my way out like everybody else to get on the wing. But when I looked out, there was no room on the wing or the boat for me. Uh, it was already filled up. So that's why I was inside the plane for about seven minutes and waist deep in 36 degree water. I was going to say, because it's water in the middle of January in New yep. York. It, it's very cold. And I, there was ice. I, a lot of pictures don't show the ice that was around the plane because of the angles, but there was ice floating in the water. So it was <sighs> extremely cold water. And that's how I became the last passenger out. And Kaylee, I didn't know I was the last passenger out until 
I was on Good Morning America, and the first picture they showed on Good Morning America was me hanging out of the plane. Somebody took a picture from the lifeboat, and all of a sudden, I became the last passenger out of the plane. That's how that's how I knew it. But I was in the plane for about seven minutes away, steep in 36-degree water, and until uh, I felt the, the plane shake. And what I found out after talking to a lot of people is a tugboat hit the front of the plane, and uh, when he was backing out and the next ferry was coming in and it shook the plane. And that's when I said to my, in my mind, I said, Titanic, I'm out of here, man. This thing's yeah. going down and I do not be sucked down in a plane. And that's no. how I ultimately got off the plane is because I had to swim to the ferry, which was at the end of that wing. That's oh. how I got off the plane. Oh my goodness. That is absolutely, <laughs> I'm, I'm to be quite honest, I'm sitting here the entire time you're talking and my jaw is just dropped because I like I can't I can't believe this. I mean, I'll just say from off the bat, one, your story is incredible. Two, I I think it's it's you know, there are those days in history that people remember. And I there are a couple of things I remember about that day. And the one is that I remember because this was right when Twitter was pretty new and and I remember you know scrolling through my Twitter feed and Janice Crum tweeted a picture of the plane on the Hudson and he says we're on the ferry that's going to pick up the passengers you know something like this is crazy and I remember seeing that and this is one of those things where you know there was nothing on TV about it no news stations were covering it and here I am on Twitter and a guy tweets a picture of a plane that had just landed on the Hudson and I remember a couple things that moment one holy crap <laughs> like yep. uh, that's crazy uh, two this has completely changed the way we consume media yep. and this is re- this is revolutionary and the fact that I just got a, a major breaking news story from a medium like Twitter, a social network, before any other, you know, news stations or any anything was covering it, I knew that 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 just completely revolutionized how we we consume media, and and that still rings true today. And here we are in two thousand eight, you know, almost ten years later, and it's the it's the same today, and and it has even changed even more. Um, so I want to go back a little bit uh, okay. because. There's there's so many things that I think that you've gotten to experience. And like you said, that everything really changed for you um, that day. And you, you've gotten to experience something that, you know, most people in their life will never experience. And that's the the thought that you're going to die and then and you're conscious of it the whole time and you don't die. Um, so I, I, I'm curious, you know, what was that like for you in that moment? You know, and, and I'd love for you to kind of just, yep. can you share some of those details of what happened? So the plane takes off and then it, it, a bird hit it, right? Uh, multiple birds. They, he estimates for 25 to 30 birds hit the plane. Oh. They, I think they had five out of one engine and six or seven out of the other engine. And, you know, as the birds fly, fly in, if you know how geese fly, they can fly in a V. Yeah. Right? So the front of the plane got hit immediately. So if you go to see the plane here in Charlotte, you see the windows that were hit by the birds coming in from the front. But they could they come in a V, right? So the outside birds are the ones that went into the engine. The front of the birds went to the front of the plane, mm. knocked the avionics out. And so you're on the plane, you're, you're taking off without a care in the world, really. And then what happened at that moment of impact? Did you just, you felt this explosion? 
Yeah, when when I was reading the magazine, I tell people I wasn't paying attention. I was doing exactly what I did every single time I got on a plane, so I wasn't paying attention. And when I heard heard the big boom, it was a loud, I tell people it was a loud explosion. It was like a boom. And I tell one of the things I share with people is one of the things one of the more amazing things that doesn't get talked about or hasn't been talked about is it was one boom. It wasn't boom boom. So that means the birds hit simultaneously on both sides Wow! because I truly believe if you would have heard boom boom and all of a sudden people are thinking this is this is something this is nasty this is a terrorist attack something's going on because yeah. you just you have multiple but you heard one boom so everybody thought you know well you have another engine because you got to remember the passenger make of that plane was roughly 90 plus percent business people flying out of New York yeah so you know and, and most business people know you get the planes have at least two engines mm-hmm. so you have another plane you, know, you have another engine so you're just going back to LaGuardia so I've, but that's why I believe if you heard boom, boom, then you would have heard had a lot more panic on the plane, which would have been a totally different situation. Wow. So, so you hear that initial explosion, and how do you know? Do you know about how long it was until um, the captain, Captain Sully, came on the the loudspeaker to, to tell you guys that he was going to have to land the plane in the water? Yeah, so if you break down the time frames, which I've seen many times, the the flight from takeoff to in the Hudson was roughly six minutes. Wow. So, you know, he was, it was about 60 to 70 seconds after he took office when he heard the explosion. He was roughly at a thousand feet when he crossed the George Washington Bridge when he said his famous words. And he was roughly 70 plus seconds. So if you take 70 seconds to 70 seconds and, and divide, you know, take those out, which is about 140 seconds, which is about you know, two minutes plus, you're about three and a half minutes into it before he said anything. Yeah. And what was that like? What what was the, you know, in general with the with the passengers, you know, was it like because you know you see in movies and obviously I've actually seen the the, the movie Sully, which we can talk about a little, in a little bit, but um, in real life, were people yep. screaming? Was it just people crying? Was it people praying? I mean, what was that? You know, six minutes like. Yeah, the first interview I did, I told people, it was, it, was, it was stone quiet on that plane. You could you could hear a pin drop. And I think everybody at that point was really internalized, Molly. I think, you know, there were some people back texting their loved ones. There were some people leaving voice messages. You know, I was just trying to think out, what's what's my game plan, right? Wow. I mean, what's going what's gonna to happen in the next couple minutes? But everybody was internalized. And which, you know, he gave a great great reference for me and we were always with a few other passengers for so i guess it would say us now when and i just mentioned the passenger makeup of the plane which is something that never gets talked about because you know 90 percent of those people on that plane were business people and yeah. he sort of gave us a contrast of this would have happened in orlando you're have a whole different situation because the passenger makeup of planes coming out of a say orlando they're you know families and older people right and right. I mean, I flew to Orlando on business and maybe five or six business people were on a plane. Right. Right. So now you have a different passenger makeup. So you look at the like the movie. Have you seen the movie Flight with Denzel Washington? Yes. When I was going from Orlando to Atlanta. Yeah. People freaking out. Right. Right. So the passenger makeup of the plane made a whole lot of difference in this. How not only what happened on the plane, but getting people out and how the whole thing came came about. That's such a great point that I don't I definitely would never have thought about is just how much the passenger makeup of the plane would would affect the reaction. Um, And when you have more business people versus, you know, women and and men with with children and things like that and how that would have um, really played out. Uh, It's a great metaphor, Molly, for business. That's why I tell people in business. I say it's a metaphor because it tells you if you have the right people in the right seats on the plane or right people in the right positions in a company. 
how things can come together very quickly. But if you don't, all of a sudden you have things can go sideways very quickly. It's a great metaphor for making sure you're building a team for business. Make sure you have the right person in the right place because they can change the entire dynamic of a situation. Yeah. Now I'm 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 curious. You know, this is this is one of those experiences that, like you said, and obviously it changes you forever. Um, and and it's it's a it's an experience that is defining. Um, and a lot of people, you know, this is a this is trauma. Um, a lot of people experience PTSD with a situation like this. And there's a lot of you know whether it's you know. A plane crash or whether it's an automobile accident, maybe it's a cancer diagnosis, maybe it's a, um, you know, the death of a loved one. Uh, There's a lot of different crises that we can come across in our life that can really cause us to, you know, experience some form of PTSD or or, or really go through grief and trauma. Um, You really have used this as a platform to make a difference in other people's lives. And, you know, as somebody who you were a businessman and you were in sales for years, how did this really impact you in that way? And instead of letting this trauma affect you in a negative way, you used it for growth. Can you talk a little bit about that? I appreciate you asking that because that's one of the biggest shifts that I've made and one of the biggest passions that I have now because, you know, I there were a lot of people on the plane that had depression and even, as we know, with Captain Sonberger had PTSD yeah. uh, that went through this. And, you know, but I kept saying I didn't. What's the difference between me and them? Mm. And I started going through what how did I react compared to other people? And that's when, you know, I did an interview for AARP magazine and they introduced a term to me about post-traumatic growth syndrome. And I never knew what it was, but I started studying it. And then I started putting things together. I'm like, maybe this is a strategy on how you can grow from a traumatic life event. So that's why I did my TED talk up in Queens University last year about, you know, how to bounce back or use use these strategies that I use to grow from a traumatic life event because you hit it on the head. Everybody in the life who's listening, everybody's going to have a personal plane crash in their life, whether it's a fire, a flood, a health scare, a hurricane, a fire, whatever it may be. So how do you respond to that instead of going to a depression or even worse, PTSD? And I share the strategies I used and I now share with law enforcement and military or people who approach me saying, I'm going through a bad time. Can you tell me how to how to turn this thing around? And so I share with them the strategies on how to do that. And that's one of my passions right now, Molly. Okay. I know you are loving this conversation with Dave. And I wanted to just take a moment to thank our sponsor of the show, who's able to help make the show possible. And that's Causebox. You know, Causebox is one of my favorite ethical subscription boxes. I've been a subscriber for over two years. How it works is each season, a new box is released filled with everything from accessories, home goods, and jewelry to the best in skincare and wellness products that are not only amazing, but they are doing the most good. And each box delivers incredible value with a guarantee of over $150 worth of products for only $54.95. Or if you use my gift code MOLLY, that's M-O-L-L-Y, it's $39.95 because you get $15 off. The products are not just beautiful, they're also useful. The spring box was just released and it is my favorite box yet. The gorgeous silver earrings from Shop Soko, handmade in Kenya, are beautiful and classy. But best of all, the impact of each cause box makes the whole membership even more worth it. Their spring box, for example, employed more than 600 artisans under fair trade conditions in India and Kenya, and put 100 young girls in India through school. 
There are a limited number of spring boxes left. It is their most popular box by far. So you got to hop on it ASAP. Go to stillbeingmolly.com slash causebox and use that coupon code Molly for $15 off. Now back to my conversation with Dave. I'd love for you to kind of share what are some of the things you, you know, some of those tangible things that you experienced or that you learned that you now really try to impart to other, you know, everybody from entrepreneurs and and business owners to sales associates and just employees in general. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about, you know, it's people talk about leadership a lot and that's a wide term, but I really talk about how to cultivate your own personal leadership, these skill sets inside yourself. So when your moment hits and I tell, and that's why I say everybody's going to have that moment in life. No one gets, goes through life unscathed. And that's when I never realized that until after this, Uh, because I thought I was going on skates, right? I mean, I'm I'm making a lot of money. Things are fine. I got a family and everything's going well. And all of a sudden something hits you. So I I talk about these personal leadership skills and, you know, and when I talk about a lot and is so what I learned from Tony is nothing new, but I, I just try to reframe it and simplify it for people is, you know, number one, being in the appropriate state of mind and, you know, how to put yourself in that state. And I, I show people how to do that through their physiology or their internal dialogue or how they focus. And I use people's circumstances and show them how they did it. So one of the things I talk about is the, during the plane crashes is, you know, Captain Stellenberger couldn't get up and move around in the cockpit and move his body and this and that. But what he did is he used his power of focus to get mm-hmm. himself in the appropriate state and stay steady the whole time yeah. where he could have freaked out. Yeah. You know, but he didn't because he used his power of focus. Now, I used the way I managed my state that day is my internal dialogue. I kept the questions I kept asking myself and what I was saying in my head. Uh, and I, because at that point in time, I couldn't get up and move around, right? I didn't know what was going on, but at least my di- internal dialogue was staying positive. Because one thing I said to myself in, in the final moments, final back to final moment is, you know, I'm going to either end up in a better place in heaven or I'm going to come back a different person. Mm. And that was one of the last things I said to myself. So it was a positive reinforcement that something wow. positive is going to happen. And that's one of the things I tell people is, is you know, especially business people, is you got you got to put yourself in the appropriate state. Because one of the things I learned by talking to all these pilots and captains, and one of the techniques they use is called mental modeling, and they put themselves in a positive situation. What's the positive outcome it can be instead of all the different outcomes? Hmm. And also, you put yourself in that positive outcome mode. It's like, okay, you have more options on how things can work out instead of how things may not work out. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> There's a timely... Uh, <laughs> reverse example of that so uh spoiler alert for anybody that watches the show this is us um but it's it's one of my husband and i's favorite show and it's you know i i know so many people that watch it but last night on last night's episode actually um one of the characters randall and beth they play this game where in these bad situations they they play worst case scenario and they literally just name the worst case scenario that could happen in that moment it makes them feel better so like if they're you know you're like we're all gonna die like that's their worst case scenario in that particular uh in that particular uh moment but i i I love that you know obviously this is not the show this is us but i love that you said that in that moment you i mean you're a plane is going down and you're sitting in your seat and you're thinking best case scenario um and, and that's 
what an incredible gift that you have in a lot of ways and and how you've been able to use that to really educate people and and get other people to change their thinking because I I think that that is um, no I don't think I know that that's a rare quality um, because so many people you know in a lot of ways are like Randall and Beth and they play worst case scenario um, and you know their anxiety is through the roof and they're just thinking about all the, the things the terrible things that could happen and you know here you are in a terrible situation thinking about okay I'm either going to end up in heaven and my life is going to be great um, or my life's going to be changed for the better today because I lived and what a what a gift and I, I'll just say personally um, that's that's preaching to me today um, you know just you know the listeners of my show and um, you know those that have been following me on social media know that um, both my husband and I we lost um, our third child uh, at the beginning of February and this season has been um, really hard for me as a mm-hmm. mom um, you know losing a, a pregnancy like this and um, and I'm kind of in that Randall and Beth right now where everything is like worst case scenario for me. Um, and so just just to personally share, say thank you for actually sharing that, because that really that's a perspective that I, I need to start working on is is changing that from worst case scenario to what's the best case scenario and how can I use this this traumatic situation? This is something that my family and I are going through. Um, how can I use that to to grow and and be better and love my kids more and love my husband more and you know how can I have an impact in a positive way? So thank you for sharing that. Well, thank thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry you went through that, but we lost our first child, and mm-hmm. I understand. I remember when that was going on and the, how we coped with it. And Kaylee, I didn't know any, <clears throat> excuse me any of these techniques back then, but yeah. you know I know how my wife and I handled that, and it helped us get through it. And all of a sudden, we have four more kids, yeah. which I don't, still don't know how that happened. Yeah, but uh, you know, no, I appreciate that, and thank you very much for saying the kind words. Yeah, I mean that, like I said, that really is. If anything, that was preaching to me today. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I would love for you to also kind of talk about, um, you know, you have this, this, these skills and this training that you got in sales and, and being the security director for Tony Robbins, which I feel like we could do an entire other episode about all the things you learned by working <laughs> alongside Tony Robbins. Um, I'd love I think for that's you- a book I'm going to write. Yeah. All these things I learned from, about t- from Tony Robbins. Uh, you know? Yes. I mean, obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously you need to write that. Um, yeah. I'd love for you to kind of share how some of those skills and training um, that you learned from Tony, uh, how that impacted you that day. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'll I'll give you two pretty good examples because one of them really helped me dramatically when I was in the plane and getting trying to figure out what to get out of the plane. Uh, It's a skill set called sensory acuity, and Mm -hmm. it's really what you talk about is how to how you speak in the modality of the the other person so you can you can build rapport very quickly. And I I knew that skill set, and there's three ways to do that: you know, uh, visually, auditorily, and kinesthetically. And I learned that from Tony, but I didn't really practice it until I got one day I was home with my wife and my wife um, is a very auditory communicator. She could talk for 30 minutes and not take a breath <laughs> where I am a visual talker. Hey, listen, I got, give me, give me 30 seconds. I can visualize it. I got it. So you have, and then you're in a marriage and you've got a guy, a husband who's visual and your wife's auditory and you're not wonder your button heads all the time. Mm. Right. So once I figured that, you know what, maybe I need to go auditory, right. Figure out how to be auditory. It changed my relationship with my wife. Yeah. So I used that skill that day because of what happened with the lady who's on the wing with the baby and she was standing there stifled. She wasn't moving. And I knew she had to do something because she was in the middle of the wing. She wasn't moving. No one was moving around her. And my thought was, man, she tries to go in the lifeboat 
I slips into the river with this kid. So I used sensory cue. So I went total visual on her. I said, throw the baby, throw the baby. And she looked at me like I was crazy, you know, but I got her attention. And all of a sudden, another lady picked up on that and said, give me the baby. Mm. And she gave her the baby. So the skill set of sensory acuity played out very visually for me that day. And it's a skill set that I used in sales all the time because I, I could build rapport quickly because I understand the modality the person I was communicating with was. And I could shift to be in their modality and all of a sudden be in alignment with them. So that's that's number one. But I think also the skill set, and I talk about in business a lot, is, is of course about leadership. And you know, one of the things that I learned, and it's totally true, and in the most uncertain times, the person with the most certainty becomes the leader. And it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a company or you're the guy who's a janitor at midnight. It doesn't matter. If you show certainty in those uncertain times, people will look to you for leadership. Yeah. And that's exactly what I think I did. And it's probably a few other people on that plane did. Sullenberger did. I know another gentleman did on the other side of the plane. He did. He was a sergeant in the Army. I know exactly what he told me what he did. So, you know, you, in those times of uncertainty, give certainty to people. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, they'll look to you for leadership and guidance and, and, and how to be in, be in charge. So those are really two skill sets that I used that day and are great skill sets for business and in personal life. Wow. I love that. In times of uncertainty, give certainty to people. Yes. And that is, I think that's such a great leadership, you know, lesson that so many business owners and entrepreneurs and I think people in general can, you know, as parents, when you're, you know, when times are uncertain, your kids are going to look to you. Um, as a teacher in a classroom, your kids are going to, your students are going to look to you. I mean, there's so many ways that you can apply that in life and in business. And um, I think that's incredible. Yeah. I, and I think I've seen the school, I've got four kids who've gone through school or are still in school. And one of the challenges I see with some of their teachers, they don't give certainty. They, yes. they give uncertainty yes. to kids. No wonder they're, yes. they're all over the board, Yeah, you know? So uh, I think that's, um, it's just, it's something just to remember, you know, when all stuff's breaking loose in your life, be the one standing up and giving some certainty that things are going to work out. Things are getting some people focused on that. And all of a sudden, you know, things start turning around. Yeah. I'd love to just briefly talk about the movie and what that was like, because you were you actually played yourself in the movie. And I was in three cameos. I was very honored to do that, Molly. Yep. Yeah. So I'd love for you to kind of share that experience. And um, as somebody who was there and experienced it in real time and real life um, and then having seen the movie, you know, what were some of the big differences? And um, like I said, my my husband and I have seen the movie. We loved it. Um, I mean, it's Tom Hanks. So, you know, Tom Hanks yep. is the man. Uh, yep. Is he yep. as nice in in real life as everybody says he is? Well, we didn't get a chance to be with him. He he was shielded. He was in the uh, simulator. Yeah. We got to we got to be with Clint Eastwood, which was even cooler. Oh, well, I thought, that's yeah, yeah. The man, the man's eighty six years old and still kicking it, man. I mean, yeah. the dude's got it going, right? So I was really honored to be in doing the stuff that I did with Clint Eastwood. Yeah. So, um, but I think it was a, it was an unbelievable experience and I was honored to be asked to be, be a part of it. And I think it's, uh, people ask me all the time, was it accurate? I said, it's about 95% accurate. There's some Hollywood in it. And my wife actually picked it up on it when we saw it. We were, we had a private viewing here in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had maybe eight or nine people, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, but she picked up on something that I said, yeah, that's your, you got it. You, you, Cause I didn't even think about it. And, so there's a couple things in there that, you know, are maybe stretched, um, but no, it's very accurate. And, um, wow. you know, being around a legend like Clint Eastwood who gives direction on how he wants it done and yeah. basically he's dirty Harry, 
And yeah. Kaylee, you know, you don't cross him. <laughs> so yes. it's like, just get it done. Right. So, um, but it was, I was an honor to be a part of that and, um, getting to know a lot of the people. And one of the things that really amazed me about that experience is when I was leaving doing my, my, my part, one of the producers came up to me and thanked me. And I said, of course, I'm thank you for having me. Right. It's an honor to be here. And all of a sudden she started telling me my story as good or better than I could tell my story. Wow. And she and told me, she knew me. And she so when it told me they did research on everybody. They knew our stories backwards and forwards. Wow. They knew exactly what was going on. And I'm like, whoa, this really blew me away that she yeah. knew me as good as I knew myself. Yeah. They really wanted to give, you know, the passengers and the story justice. Yep. Yep. And I think Sullenberger's story, they played right pretty, pretty close down the line. I think it was very, very accurate based on, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to be with him many times. I've sp- he and I spoke on the same stage at Illinois State wow. University last year. So I've been with him doing that, too. And I think they played it pretty straight down the line. And that's one of the things I'm really honored about Clint Eastwood. That's incredible. Um, I'm curious, you know, like, well, you just mentioned that you've spoken with Captain Sully a couple times. Have you developed relationships that have continued, you know, beyond that day with some of the other passengers? And have you guys, do you guys like have reunions or something? You know I mean? Well, there, there's a reunion every year on the 15th of January in Charlotte, New York. Uh, I usually don't attend those, Molly. And the reason why is because that's my day of giving. Yeah. And I usually will be speaking someplace around mm. the country. This year I did it in Louisville, Kentucky. And I give 100% of my time and money that I earned that day back to the American Red Cross. Oh, wow. So I'm usually not at those reunions. But I am pretty close to the first passenger that was at because he and I shared the same hospital area because uh, he fractured his sternum and I had hypothermia. Mm. So he and I were in the hospital together. So he and I are pretty close. And, you know, Captain Sullenberger and I, we had a pretty good relationship. We share the same birthday. So at least on our birthdays, we interact yeah. uh, in addition to some other things. And some of the other passengers and I have become pretty good friends. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, – it's really interesting because the way it sort of broke out is, you know, what side of the plane you went out on. I went out the right side of the plane and or where you ended up, which I ended up in New Jersey. So the people on the right side of the plane who ended up in Jersey, I know pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the people who went to New York, I know some of them, but I don't know. That's a whole different That's a whole different story over there. Yeah. Because the left side of the plane had a whole different experience than the right side of the plane. And wow. I tell people that's two different. You hear two different versions of what happened. If you talk to somebody from the left side and the right side of the plane. Interesting. Interesting. Do you know, I mean, do you know yeah. really why that is? Yep. I do know why that is. Um, is because if you saw the movie, it was accurate. If you saw the movie where, you know, they get the aqua guys getting on the helicopter flying out, right? Yeah. Um, they, they jumped in. Well, they came in from the New York side. And those helicopters were on the left side. So what was happening on the left side of the plane, when people were on the wing and the lifeboats with those rotors, they were turning those lifeboats in and out over. So people were going in and out of the water constantly on the left oh. side of the plane because of that, that rotor. But on the right side of the plane, we had a whole different thing. Wow. And the one thing, this, we did not have any crew. All the crew went out the left side of the plane. So mm-hmm. the right side of the plane was managed by passengers only. Wow. So that's why I tell people, you know, you have to step up and be a leader when all of a sudden all stuff's breaking loose because we had no crew to tell us what to do. Right. All the crew with the left side of the plane. So we had to figure out what to do when we got there ourselves. Wow. And that's why I tell people it's a, you know, the left side of the plane had the crew, but they also had the, had the rotors of people going out of the water. We didn't have any crew, but we had to figure out the strategies and to get the heck out and manage it ourselves. Yeah. Totally different situations. Yeah. I mean, it makes you think. You know, when you get on a plane and you're sitting in an exit row and the, 
you know, flight attendant comes by and asks you if you know if in the event of yep. an evacuation, like, are you ready? Like, you never know if that day is going to come. And you know, to I've be- had people move, Molly. I've had people move because they don't speak English or they don't, you know, they just don't look like they can handle it. Because now I know how important that position is on a plane. That's why yeah. I usually sit at that door. Yeah, I try to take the, that door because I can handle the door. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was going to be my next question is you fly a lot. Yep. <laughs> so uh, what what is it like for you now, you know, having been a part of having experienced that that day? Um, what was your first flight after that like? And then do you think about that day every time you get on a plane? The first flight was the next morning, so I wasn't thinking of anything. Oh, Kaylee, yeah. I was just being moved around, right? Yeah. But the next week, my company asked me to fly to Michigan on a business trip, and I did, which I probably should have done looking back on it, yeah. but I did. And I flew Delta because it was cheaper flight to flight to Michigan. And I tell you, there's nothing wrong with Delta. I love Delta. And though I was a rock star on U.S. Airways, so you know everybody knew me on U.S. Airways. No one knew me from Adam on Delta, and they put me in the back of the plane. So I was like in the back of the plane, a bumpy flight. And so I was a little shaky until somebody recognized me because I was doing a lot of media interviews. Yeah. Someone finally recognized my face from me in all these interviews. And the captain came back and sort of talked to me for a few minutes and and uh, sort of you know, gave me some perspective on what really goes on up there. Yeah. And that helped me. So that that but I think about that every time I fly, because I tell people the one thing I look for now on a plane is, hey, I want to be a, you got to be aware on a plane. But second, who is not aware? Yeah. Who's not watching the flight attendants do those? Because Canley was something hits the fan because we just had another one the other day in Southwest yeah. out there. The fire caught inside a plane, right? If they're not listening, they're the ones who are going to be causing the problems. Yep. Yeah. Because they don't know what to do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've never, never even thought about that. But oh, my goodness. I can't believe yeah. you flew on a business trip the next week. Yeah. That's yeah. a. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to make the money. And I just, you know what? It was. It, <laughs> You know, you got to do what you got to do. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for people that don't know, you know, what you do these days, I mean, obviously you do a lot of traveling and a, a lot of speaking, but what, you know, what are you doing these days and, and what is sort of your vision and your goal for, you know, the next few years and, and you know, as you, you know, just live the rest of your life? Well, I appreciate that because speaking is still my passion because I get to go out and I get to meet people and impact people's lives every day. But one of the things I've sort of evolved my mission, including cultivating personal leadership into reducing human suffering. And because I don't think you can eliminate human suffering because they're just life. You go through life. But yeah. I can I could do that through what I can I talk about. In addition, I you know I have a daily flash briefing now on Amazon, which allows me every day to get content out with people to talk in the declassified. It's called Dave Sanderson Declassified. I can declassify one bit of information from these people yeah. to help people every day get one something new, which is really a passion. But the other part of the passion is I'm doing. Um, a workshop series with a company in Atlanta called 3C Aqua Leadership Mindset Series with Dominique Wilkins and Steve Nenovic from Chick-fil-A and Don Bard and myself. Wow. And we get to impact companies and people and teach them these leadership skills on how to how to have that Hall of Fame mindset. And get you know, so when all stuff hits the fan, you're ready and prepared to have be able to handle these things, whether it's a business or personal life. So, and my next book will be coming out hopefully later this year. We're getting we're working through that process now. So that's uh, there's a lot of things in the in the pipeline. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Uh, Dave, well, this is the part of the show where we're just going to transition a little bit. And I get to just ask you a couple questions to get to know you a little bit better. Um, not that I don't feel like I got to know you really well, because I did. And you just you, your story is absolutely incredible. Um, so uh, is it OK if we uh, get to know you a little bit better and ask you some fun questions? 
Let's do it. Awesome. Cool. So the first one is which fictional character would be the coolest to meet in real life? Fictional character. Mm. I would say, wow, I would say Michael Corleone. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. I love the Godfather. I love the Godfather. Yes, got yep. to be the Godfather. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Um, what is the most interesting thing you have read or seen this week? This week? Um, wow, interesting. Um, seen this week? Boy, that's a good question. I, I don't have it. It's only Wednesday. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I would probably say I saw my I saw my face on a picture of a billboard in New Jersey. I'm going to New Jersey to speak next week, and they had my pictures on a billboard in New Jersey <laughs> on the turnpike. And I'm like, they, somebody took a picture, showed it to me. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's you know? pretty awesome. So, that's pretty cool. So, <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. What is on your most played list on Spotify? Um, Spotify. I would probably say. The Dan Patrick Show. Oh, all right, all right. I, you know, I, I he and I grew up in the same area. He talks about things that I grew up with. I'm so I'm I'm all in, man. I'm all in. <laughs> yep. Um. Well, wh- what is the movie? Obviously, other than Sully, not that this is yep. one that you yep. want to watch all the time. But what is the movie you could watch over and over again and never get bored of? Well, there's I, there's, I would say there's really two. One from is Animal House. I watch it every yes! time. Yes. It just reminds me of when I was in college because it was really <laughs> just like that. I would say that's number one. Uh, yeah, but Captain America is probably close to number two because, Ken, I love the story of a hero. I love it. And last but not least, um, you know, I, I wanted to ask this question after I found out that you, you know, you know worked with Tony Robbins for so long. Yep. What is the best piece of advice you ever received from Tony Robbins that he gave you not on stage or something you learned uh, from him not on yep. stage? Uh you know the one thing he he does he didn't never said on stage, but he took me to the side when I became head of security. He says the one skill set that he wants more of to teach and wants more of anything out of me was the skill set of anticipation. Mm. And he said if you can anticipate, you know you can really direct you know you, you have the direction of your life. So that's that one piece of bit of advice served me over and over, not only on the plane that day, but yeah. in business and in my personal life. And basically it was seeing two or three steps ahead of people. Yeah. Absolutely. That is a great piece of advice. I love it. Dave, thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely incredible and I'm so grateful for you taking the time out of your busy day to to chat with me. I'm excited. Thank you very much, Molly, and uh, make all the moments in your life matter. There were so many times during that conversation that my jaw just absolutely dropped. What an incredible story that Dave has. And I love the way he is using this experience to impact literally millions of people around the world. What an amazing person. And I love that analogy that he made about having the right passengers on the plane in the right spaces and how that just really changed the outcome. And the, the, the analogy that that can be used in business. Oh, this was such a good episode. So I hope you loved it. I will have all of Dave's information in the show notes as usual. So be sure to give some love on social media to him this week. Another huge thank you to this week's podcast sponsor, Causebox. Visit stillbeingmolly.com slash Causebox. And don't forget to use that coupon code Molly for $15 off. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out, and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, or whichever podcasting app you like best, and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button helps to ensure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. I want to take a moment to read this recent review from Hannah. First of all, shame on me for taking so long to review this podcast. I first discovered it more than a year ago when Liz Bohannon of Seiko Designs and my life role model was on the show a few weeks before a major location change. I'm an American woman in my 20s living in Ethiopia with dreams of creating a better world through my love of writing and my education in business. For someone like me, living far from familiarity, daily encouragement is a necessity. Every few weeks, I head to one of the two cafes I know with Wi-Fi and download the past few episodes of Business with Purpose, and I promptly binge listen. Molly, you are an inspiration. Those you interview are my mentors, and their wisdom consistently reminds me of the potential stumbling blocks of this privileged American living in a developing world. I love the rawness and honesty that you are free to share. Thank you for keeping me going on hard days when I want to give up or it feels too hard. Oh, Hannah, thank you so much for that review. You have no idea how much that meant to me and just your honesty and just what you shared. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag business with purpose podcast or tag me at still being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman. And the music is by Mark Killian of third wheel media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. 